So I hope you have had a great week, a great weekend as it is. And uh, I just ask uh, that you would keep uh, you know, my, my, uh, my wife's uh, family in prayer. If you, if you don't know, if you hadn't heard last, uh, last Saturday evening, there was a fatal uh, shooting on 880, and uh, one of her cousin's uh, kids died in that, in that, in that shooting. He was, uh, uh, she was uh, five years old. So we're praying for all the people, the perpetrators. They, they caught the perpetrators. We pray for salvation for those men. That's the reality, right? Um, they took someone's life. They're going to pay for the consequences of that. But God's heart, as, as I prayed about this, I'm like, Lord, what, what do you want out of this? And the Lord clearly revealed to me, He, again, allows horrible things to go on in the world because He's shaking people up and saying, when will you respond? When will you humble yourself? You see, there's a beautiful thing that can come out of this. Yes, it's a tragedy, and, 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 and I'm not belittling that situation. What I understand as the Scripture says is that if a person has not re- reached the age of accountability, there was support. So that young girl, as sad, as horrible as that is, that she lost her life, she, she let the Lord down. But now it's the unsaved family who are the victims of this tragedy and the perpetrators. They all need salvation. So I pray that these people be part of that remnant of the Lord and that they would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. It's been just that kind of week. We had prayer uh, Thursday night, and you know, uh, I left to my car, and I, I was, you know, talking to my buddy Eric, and, and you know, I was about to get in my car, and uh, you know, my, my wife texted. My wife's always like, "Turn your phone up," <laughs> because I, I got a, I got an issue with like checking my phone and not getting things till later. And I just happened to see she texted me, and she said, uh, "You know, call me right away." And so I knew something was up, and a piece to my boy, and you know, I got in my car and I, I called her and she said, you know, hey, one of Denise's friends who went into regional hospital, he's on life support right now. They're asking for prayer, and it's just been that kind of week. And so it's like in and out of season, the Lord is like. And so we pray for him. We pray for him over the speaker. Um, we don't know uh, his status right now. Uh, what I understand, he's still on life support, but it doesn't look promising. But we're praying again for this family. And that, that young man, he, he has a wife, he has two young children. We're praying for them that salvation will come to that home. Yeah. So, and again, good can come out of this. Good can truly come out of this. And, and, and what I, I want to share before I get into the message is the brevity of life. Right? We always tend to think, I have another day. I have another year. I have many more years. Oh, I'll get to that, you know, whenever. We, uh, so we, we've, had this, uh, we've had this weight bench that we bought, and it's been sitting in, in, our, in our kitchen, in the box, <laughs> for months now. And yesterday, one of my wife's like, what do you want to do today? We don't have nothing to do. My son has a week off in school, no baseball. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. He's like, you want to tackle that weight bench and get everything cleaned up on that patio outside? And, uh, you know, it, it was cool because the Lord, you know, like, do it. You know, it wasn't my wife, but the Lord was like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, the whole point is today, 
Today is the day that the Lord has given us. May, may we redeem the time because the days are evil. That's what the Word of God says. And so it's not about living in fear of, you know, when your life is going to end. The whole thing is, are you living while you're alive? You see, live with the quality of life that whenever you go, you're going to be ready. Don't be a person that's on their deathbed and, 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 and all they're doing is second-guessing everything they did and having all these regrets. You want to live in such a way with such a vigor for Christ that you're like, man, if I live to 99 years old, I'm good. <laughs> If I live to 65, if I live to 45, it is what it is, but I'm going to live every day of my life, every minute I am going to look at as a miracle, and I'm going to redeem this time, and I'm going to allow the Lord to fortify in me what He wants to do in my life. Amen? All right. Let's go ahead and uh, get into the Word this morning. So, we will be in James chapter 4. We're going back... uh, we're changing gears, going back to the book of James. Uh, we're in James chapter 4. We'll be going through verses 1 through 6 this morning. And uh, buckle in because <laughs> it's going to be a doozy. Uh, this message is entitled, Warning Against Worldliness, Part 1. Once again, we're in the book of James chapter 4. We're going to be reading through verses 1 through 6. If you have a Bible, please open it and stand for the reading of God's Word. If you do not have a Bible, uh, the text should be on uh, the screen behind me. We'll go ahead and pray after I read and we'll get into our message. So it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And this is a good part. <laughs> but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's go ahead and pray. Abba God, thank you again for the revelation of your word. Thank you for the clear, concise message. Father, you show us clearly what you desire of us, what you would like us to do, how you would want us to live. You show us clearly what is not right. And so, Father, give us the discernment, give us the ability to understand your word. Would you soften our hearts? May we not have a hard heart towards you when it comes to being reproved and being corrected and being rebuked. But may we take a critical look at our own hearts and where we're at, and may we allow you to be the potter who you are. The clay doesn't talk back to the potter. The clay just is molded into whatever vessel the potter would have that clay to be. 
And as your word says, we are living stones. We are all shaped differently. We all have a uniqueness. We're not bricks. We're not formulated to be, you know, cookie cutter. And so thank you for that. But we know with stones, many times they need to be chiseled and shaved and chipped away at. And that's what you're doing in our lives. So when we see ourselves in light of what you're doing, may we humbly praise you for the fact that you take the time to lovingly correct us. So, Father, we thank you and we love you. We ask for your anointing upon this word. I pray for your anointing upon my lips and from you and from my heart that it would be your word spoken, not my opinion, not anything of me, of men, but it would be of the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. And as I've been praying and, and, and just getting deeper in the things of God, it's amazing that He's always speaking. He's always speaking. So much we're looking outside of ourselves for God. I, I have to be gentle about this, and I have to form it in a way where it's not offensive. I don't like the saying, the man of sin. I can't stand that. And I get it. Maybe some people are at a place where that's how they understand God. And God will work with us wherever we're at. But what I've come to understand scripturally, biblically, through the canon of scripture, is that when our spirit witnesses the Holy Spirit, and there's a supernatural act of salvation that occurs through Jesus Christ, He imparts His Holy Spirit into us. The Bible says that you and I have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies as believers in Christ. Do you believe that really this morning? Because you see, God is not going to love you and I any more than He has already loved us when we were dirty, rotten, wretched, sinners, totally oblivious to Him, living our own wayward way, lost in sin, and He loved you. He loved me when I was a broken man. And He loves you just the same now. For some of us, that may be hard to wrap our minds around, but you have to get it deep down in your soul, in your inner person, that God loves you. And that you already have all the blessings that you're ever going to need. You already have the anointing. You already have the favor. You already have the discernment. You already have the wisdom. You are an heir with Him. <laughs> if Christ is seated at the right hand of God, which He is, interceding for us right now as, as I'm speaking, we believe the Scripture for what it says, right? That's what the Scripture says. Amen? So then, where are you and I in spirit? Not, obviously, physically, we're not seated at the right hand of God. But do you believe that you are seated with Christ at the right hand of God the Father? You are. You see, this is the thing. We have to have this revelation rock our world to where we really claim these things in Christ. I see too many Christians living lives of defeat because they don't know their identity is in Christ. They're having an identity crisis. And so with that, 
the Lord has laid on me. You know, Revelation 2, chapter 29, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say. So today, every day, whenever you crack open the Scripture, have an ear. Hear what the Scripture, what the Spirit has to say. You as a believer in Christ, you have so much for you. Are you willing to take that leap of faith and take him at his word? even though you don't understand everything. That is the question. I thought this was interesting, so I'll share it. The definition of what a warning is. A warning, right? Warning! Warning! We see warnings all the time, you know? Um, we just were driving here and down, what was it? Uh, Milpitas Boulevard. Crazy car that. Who the heck? Is driving at this time of morning. There was no one on the road. It was just a little, like one of those little new cars. It's like a, you know, sandwich box. It's like, I don't even know how you drive that. Somebody, a big guy like Brian or myself or Lou, you're not sitting in that thing. You're like this. You know, like Fred Flintstone. And that thing was just punched up to the side of the road and then some other nice car. It was on the island sideways. I'm like, what is going on? What are you doing at, at, at nine in the morning that got you in that wreck? But there are warning signs, right? When you're driving, warnings. Don't, 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 don't go this way. Don't go there. Stop. You know, uh, green light, yellow light, red light, all that stuff. But a warning is to inform someone, to notify someone, to tell someone in advance. That's what a warning is. I, I'm telling you in advance, so you're able to to be aware of what's going on. This is what we see here in the book of James, and if you really break it down, really the entire book of the Bible, <laughs> Old Testament, New Testament, it's all about warning, trying to show the people of the world. Obviously, it starts with the Jew first and then the Gentile. But the Bible is all about telling us, hey, man, look, this is what's going on. Be aware of what is happening. I love the acronym for Bible. What is it? Basic instructions before leaving earth. It can't get any clearer than that. These are the basic instructions. This tells you how to live your life to the fullest. Not, not, not only a Fortune 500 company, not that there's anything wrong with that. But if that's your M.O. and that's what gets you up in the morning, I mean, we're all on a, on a course and, you know, we're on a tour and that tour is going to end one day. It is. One in one chance, you're going to die. Physically. The Bible talks about there's a second chance. <laughs> now, unless you and I are caught up in the rapture, which is possible, some of us may be alive and we're just caught up. It's going to be like Enoch. That's what I'm banking. I'm like, Lord, man, let me be caught up in the air <laughs> with you. <laughs> Come back for your church and, and we're out of here. But if you happen to go to sleep, there's a one in one chance you're going to die physically. You don't want to die that second death. That's the spiritual death. And the Bible is clear. You see, this sacred book is the only, hear me now, church, the only instruction manual you will ever need for your life. There's a lot of books out there. Got help books, and ways to be a better father, and ways to be a better husband, <laughs> and all that. And, okay. It is what it is. But is it based around Scripture? I'm, I'm not going to knock every book because there's plenty of great books out there from Christian authors and they draw from the Word of God. As long as they're rightly dividing it and applying Scripture appropriately, I don't have a problem with it. 
But all you really need is the Word of God. You see, a warning is given out of concern for another. Think about it. You give warnings to your children. Why? Because you care about them. And you don't want to see them walk down the wrong road. And so if you're a parent worth your salt, you're going to warn your children. You're not just going to let them do whatever they want, whenever they want. It may annoy them at times, especially in their teenage years. I'm not there yet, but I've lived that life as a teenager, annoying my mom. <laughs> but it's like parents give warnings because they care. You can think about it this way. God loves you and I so much that he made sure to warn us about every single pitfall and every booby trap that we would ever encounter in this life. He truly has. It's all there in Scripture. You want drama? Read the Bible. There's no novel in the world that's got more drama than the Bible. There's things in the Word of God in the Old Testament you'll read if you like. What? That happened? Y'all know about the account a lot, right? It was already crazy what happened to Lot's wife. The angel said, get out of Sodom, get out of Gomorrah, don't look back. If you look back, I'm going to turn you to, you're going to turn into a pillar of salt and you're, gonna, you're not going to survive. And for whatever reason, there was something within her that she, she had an attachment to that wickedness in that city. Maybe it was people that she thought, maybe, I don't, the Bible's not specific on it, but either way, she didn't listen at here and she turned around and she turned to a pillar of salt. But that wasn't even going to happen to what happened with his daughters and him, I won't get into it, but it's, you can read it for yourself. It's crazy. It's like, what? They did what? They gave him what? He said, what? They did what? To what? To make sure the family line was going to stay living? I mean, but that's crazy. But that's in the Bible. <laughs> that's in the Bible. We don't need Hollywood. It's all right here. But you see, he loves us that much that he wants to encourage us to live a life that can be free of, 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 of decision making that's going to cause consequences that are unnecessary. It's already bad enough that you can walk through this life wholly set apart. You're still going to face encounters where things are going to not always go your way. It's whatever you say is I want to live a comfortable life. We all want to live a comfortable life, right? But it's through resistance that we grow in Christ. So you're already naturally going to go through difficulties in life. Why make it worse for yourself by making foolish decisions? You see what I'm saying? That's what the Bible is talking about. And the other side of a warning given is because since we have been warned, now we are without excuse. That's, about, that's that whole thing about the age of accountability. Once you come to understand and, and, and so that, 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 that's the thing. That's why so much of those who oppose Christ, they have a difficulty because they don't know what to do with him. <laughs> because he puts such a demand on your life where it's like, you have to give up all. <laughs> you have to give your life wholeheartedly. You can't be like, well, I love you, Jesus, and I want you, Jesus, but I want to keep these three things. No, it says, you got to give it all. <laughs> all of it. All of yourself to me. And only then, and then, will you truly come into this relationship with him to where you're going to be liberated and free. But it's scary, and it's a risk. And some people are not willing to take that risk, and that's why they live a lukewarm life. So he says, if you're lukewarm, 
I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. He says he'd rather that we just be cold than lukewarm. So the thing is, we shouldn't waste our time playing. And I get we're, we're all at different stages and we're all at different places, but we should desire to want to mature in the things of God. If we truly have come to know His mercy and His grace on such an intimate level, how can you not want to know more about Him? How could you not want to experience more of His goodness if you truly have been uh, you know, rectified from your wrong situation and you've been forgiven and, and you are saved now? So this is the natural process as we grow older in the Lord. We are responsible for our actions. That's the truth. Example, um, I'll use another driving example. You know, think about the time way back when, for some of you guys, it was a long time ago, when you got to drive it now. Right? You practice, or maybe you didn't practice at all, and you said, I'm going to win this thing, I got this. <laughs> but nonetheless, you took your test, you passed the test. So now, when you're driving on the road, you really should never, ever get a ticket. Because you know the law. <laughs> you know, this this ain't like some places, like my wife, when she went to India years ago on a mission trip, she's like, they just honk to let you know to get out the way I'm coming. <laughs> and so that's why sometimes, you know, our rules are different. You see a stop sign, you're supposed to stop. You're not supposed to blow through it at 35 miles per hour. And I mean, it's, 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 now the drivers are something else right now. I'm like, wow, there's so much violence. People just, just, there's no mercy. There's no, people have no mercy, have no grace towards other people on the freeways, on the streets. It's just everybody does what they want to do with a car. And it's just crazy. Um, but, you know, yes, when, 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 when you took the test, you passed. So, you know, you know the rules of the road. So none of us should never, ever get tickets because we've been warned. If you and I break the rules of the road, it's not because we didn't know but because we simply decided in our hearts and minds to break the rule. That's, that's, that's just clear as day. It's common sense. Romans chapter 1 verse 20 tells us, speaking of the Lord God Almighty, for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. I mean, we see out here the beautiful hills, the hillside looks really nice because all the rain we've been getting. Um, that speaks of a divine creator. I was uh, I was sitting downstairs chilling, um, you know, had some worship music on, and we were getting ready uh, to come over here. And then my daughter came downstairs and she was sitting on my lap, laying down, and you know, I was just rubbing her head and you know, I just was in awe of not of her per se but in awe of God created her. <laughs> God created this, this and because this is the way she was looking at me, you know, it's like a, like a daughter looking in her father's eyes. She's giddy, she's happy, she's excited, she's protected, she's comforted, I'm stroking her hair, and, and it's like, God created that life. There's, it's all around us. We see, we see His creation, so we are without excuse. Because we see his invisible qualities. My daughter's tears that did not pop out of nowhere. She didn't she wasn't spawned out of out of some gunk. <laughs> she didn't evolve. She was 
you know, fearfully created in her mother's womb, that the Lord has a purpose for her life. It's not even about me and, and her mom. It's about God has a purpose. Take this to heart about you, personally. You weren't created on accident. You weren't created for no reason. God thought fit to make you how He made you. You're a living stone. You have your own uniqueness, your own blueprint, and He wants you to fulfill a mission in your life that only you can fulfill. No one else can do what He can do through you in your life. This is so important for us to grasp. Again, church, our identity. Do not have an identity crisis. Our culture, our world is under attack for identity right now. There is so much in these different ideologies that are challenging the identity of people. And it's so sad. And you see it. It's like, a man cannot be a woman, and a woman cannot be a man. I don't care how much medically they try to change the inner workings of a person's body. There's so much suicide, and there's so much dread, and there's so much despair in people that are being, are succumbing to this satanic spirit that is, is driving them down a road that is very painful. But this whole idea of understanding his invisible attributes and his qualities, that we are without excuse, this is basically the heart of what our text is this morning. We have several main points, and the first one is this. All of our problems, all of our problems, I don't care what your problem is this morning that you have, right? We all have them. Some of us will be like, it's unspoken. I don't feel comfortable saying it. It's fine. I get it. Develop trust, and then you'll, you'll be able to share it with somebody who you can confide in that is a believer. And please share it with the Lord alone, because definitely you should share it with Him. But all of our problems, yours and mine, stem from unchecked passions within our hearts. That's where it comes from. <laughs> That's where it comes from. Your enemy is not really the enemy who you think it is. Right? Uh, I just talked about this young girl, she got gunned down. And, uh, you know, they said it was, you know, the gang members, they thought this car was somebody from a rival gang. They ran up on him on A80 and shot him up. As difficult, as hard as that is, the people who shot up the car, they're not the enemy. They are not the enemy. They were used by the enemy, but they are not the enemy. The Bible is clear when it states in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful, is deceitful above all things and desperately who can understand it? Who can understand it? Only the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, because when the fall of sin came into the world, our hearts, humanity's hearts became deceitfully wicked. They were pure at one time. But when we broke fellowship with God, because we chose in our own free will to do what shouldn't have been done, now our hearts are deceitfully wicked. It is from this deceitfulness within our hearts that is desperately wicked that unhealthy passions flow from. As born-again believers, we are eternally forgiven and we're saved from sin. But you see, we still must live out the remainder of our lives battling against our flesh. If you've been saved for any number of years or any moment of time, you will come to know that just because you're saved doesn't mean you're exempt from battle. You are constantly battling against your flesh 
against the culture of the world and against the prince of the air who is Satan and demonic uh, spirits that are constantly trying to influence you and take your attention away and off of Christ. So you're in a battle. <laughs> you're in a battle whether you know it or not. You're in a battle whether you want to be or not. This is just the way it is, church. This is life on this planet. And we must battle against these temptations, our flesh and Satan, all these things that are set before us. This is what James is saying here in our text. In verses 1 through 3, he addresses the whole situation that we face. And that's, that's just so mind-blowing about Jesus and the Word of God is that you don't even have to know someone. <laughs> and the Word of God will speak directly to your situation because it's living and active. It cuts to the heart of everything. And only you and I can be open with the Lord and be like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're, you're poking and prodding in sensitive areas that, that need work. But James chapter 4, when James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, as I just mentioned, this is what he talks about. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? But he's saying, you, there's, there's a struggle going, I don't want to do that, but I'm still doing it. I don't want to talk gossip about this person, but I'm still running my mouth about this person. I don't want to have anger issues, but I'm still getting enraged about stuff and I'm letting stuff get under my skin that I should just let roll off my back, like water off a dust back. You see, these are passions that are warring within you and me and our flesh. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. And maybe you might be saying, well, I've never killed anybody. But what did Jesus say? If you have hate in your heart towards a man or a woman and you leave that unchecked and you don't get it right with that person, you've already murdered them in your mind. Think about it. All these heinous acts, where do they start? They start in the heart, a mind left unchecked, and then it moves from that, they, they fester on it enough, and then they go out and commit the act. Nobody goes out and, and commits adultery against their spouse just on the basis of just, I'm going to do it. It's, it's the heart wicked, <laughs> and, and, and they, they come into a relationship with someone else. They think that they're not being fulfilled in the relationship they're in, the sanctified relationship in, in holy matrimony, and then they start dabbling in this and that with this person, but it's the, the, the heart and the mind aren't right. And then it leads to the act of adultery. He says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So coveting. Man, I, I want that boat that that man has. I want a boat like that. How come I don't have that boat? Now I work hard. I need that boat. <laughs> you can't obtain it, so you fight and quarrel. We're going bashing each other over things that should not be. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask wrongly. <laughs> to spend it on your own passion. Oh, man, this is, like I told you, it's going to be a hard message. <laughs> we must be aware of our sinful passions, you see, and not allow ourselves to come into agreement with our flesh or Satan. This is where discernment comes into play. You and I must use the discernment that God has given us to where we can see the difference. The Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What are we doing when we purposefully engage with the things of the world? We're setting ourselves up for and pain, unnecessary, unnecessary pain that we don't need. So let us 
not come into agreement with our flesh and Satan, but may we come into agreement with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus Christ, and God the Father. Amen? The second main point is this. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Enmity means the state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. You see, whenever we come into agreement with the culture of the world, we make ourselves enemies of God. You know, I get it, we've got to live in the world, but I'm talking about full-on, like, embracing everything of the world and, and, and taking the, the, our, our cues from the world and having our world view based on the lens of what the world culture has to say about it. That's not a good thing, sir. And it should never be said about believers. And this is the interesting thing. He's speaking to the church. <laughs> He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to people that aren't saved. He's talking to people within the church, the ones who are believers, the ones who know. They say, you're murdering. You're quarreling. You're coveting. You're jealous. You ask, but you ask for this. You're asking for your own selfish desires, for your own passion. This is why it's a hard rebuke. So we must bear under the truth of what the Lord is saying to us this morning. The Bible is clear. Romans chapter two, twelve, verse two says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by." Testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the Bible is clear. We must take every thought captive and make it obedient to the authority of Jesus Christ. Make it. See, there's, there's a part of the Christian life where it's not about the warm fuzzies. It's not about how you feel. It's not about your emotions. It's about you have to will it. You have to use your will, which is part of your soul, and determine in your heart that you are not going to move from this line. This is why Christians are getting taken out, because they're not, they're not purposing it. They're, they're not allowing the, the, the Word to transform their mind. And, and the battlefield is in the mind. You see, you're not your thoughts. I could be standing up here and a demonic thought, a pornographic thought, or something crazy and demonic just will flow through my head. That's not my thought. But I have to be on the line to be able to rebuke that thing. And how am I going to be able to rebuke it if I'm not in the Word of God daily? How am I going to be able to rebuke it if I'm not, if I'm not filling myself with God's Word regularly? What I, like what I said, this is the most important book that you can ever study in your life. Go to college, that's fine. Get all the degrees you want, that's fine. None of that information, unless it's biblical, is really going to help you at the core of who you are, other than the Word of God. And that is the truth. Because knowledge is man's understanding of God. And everybody in the world has a different understanding of God, because we all try to relate however we can. But revelation is God revealing himself to mankind. And that can only happen through the Word of God, through his Holy Spirit. So do you see the importance of being in God's Word? How can you rebuke these unclean thoughts if you don't have the Word of God in you? It's not memorizing verses just for the sake of memorizing them. Remember, the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts to the heart of every situation. When you say, he who lives in me is greater than he who lives in the world, 
When you say perfect love casts out all fear, that demonic spirit of fear has to break. It has to flee. That, that demonic spirit of, of, of anxiousness. People say, I, I got anxiety. I just, I, just, I just can't. You don't need more drugs. You don't need Ritalin. You don't need all this stuff. The, the, the side effects are horrible. Gross, fear, death. I'm like, what? You don't need that. You need the Word. You need the living Word in you. Your spirit, my spirit, has to witness the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, there's a supernatural change that occurs, and now you are walking in victory. You and I can truly walk from glory to glory and grace to grace. It's, it's, it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> it really is. It really is. You do not have to live a defeated You should not live a defeated life as a Christian. Take hold of your thoughts. Hold them captive. Subject them to the authority of the Word of God. But if we're just letting any old thought pass through our minds, then that's what you're going to get. What do, what do we say in our culture? Mental illness is such a reality. It's a spiritual battle. The mental illness is because people are spiritually sick. They're in darkness. They're in bondage and in captivity to demonic spirits. We just think it's any old TV show or any old music. No, it's not. There's demonic forces behind all this stuff. You may think I'm a weirdo, and that's okay. I don't let my son watch minions. You want to know why? They're saying all kind of nonsense. You know what a minion is? What is the biblical definition of a minion? It's a little demon. It's an unclean spirit that follows after Satan. You think Disney has the best interest for you and your children? Not anymore. What's friendship with the world? Oh, yeah, it's just Disney. Oh, it's just the minions. We need to be hypersensitive to what's going on around us, church, because there's demonic influences all around. Now, I get it. The spirit, the, the, the heavenly uh, spirit, the Holy Spirit, totally supersedes that. I'm not trying to give more airtime to Satan than, than he needs. I'm just trying to address that you see in our culture, and I'm kind of going off topic here, but this is what the Holy Spirit is leading me to share. It's very overt in our culture. It's not like if you go to places in Africa or in South America and other places in the world where you're going to see demonic exorcisms, you're going to see demonic spirits literally lifted out of people where you're going to see people possessed. For real, for real. You know? But over here, we're so saturated with all this stuff that that's how the enemy takes us out. <laughs> you don't need to see some demon running around all crazy in someone because, I mean, you got you got so much stuff distracting us. I, I, me and my family and one of our one of our nephews went to a earthquake game last night. It was a great time. I had a great time. It was fun. But as I was sitting there, I just noticed there was so much going on. It's overload sensory. You got the game. You got all these people, thousands of people in the stands. You got people that are just dedicated to just beating these drums and waving these big flags the whole time. And you know, I'm not a soccer guy. I'm a sports guy. I'm not a soccer guy. My wife's family, I get it. It's cool. My boy Eric's a soccer guy. I mean, they're playing this same beat the whole time, and the 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 the, the, the half the 45 minute half. What? You're hearing that over and over. Right? And it's like, what is going on? 
What's the spirit behind that? And, and I'm not saying there's a demon behind the, the slurping machine. But what I'm saying is, church, we have to be aware of what's really going on. And where is the Holy Spirit and where is the Holy Spirit not? Because if we don't have that kind of discernment, we're, we're just going to come into agreement, you know? They're playing some Ozzy Osbourne song. I see other people rocking out there. It is what it is. I'm, like, I'm not bobbing my head to that. You know what that dude's talking about. I don't agree with it. There's some guy that came up to me when we were leaving and was like, hey, you know, I get it. When I used to rap and do all that, I was on the street hustling, trying to sell music, and the dude's like, I thought he was giving me a CD. He's having hands out, blah, blah, talking. I he put the CD in my hand. I started walking away and he said, oh, yeah, I'm just a, a young, struggling artist in San Jose trying to come up. I said, does your music glorify Jesus Christ? He looked at me with a blank stare. I said, sorry, sir, I can't buy it. Because I'm just going to keep it real. I wasn't smashing on the young man. I was just saying, I'm not going to support something that is demonic at its core. I was off topic, but it needed to be said. To be conformed to this world means we are friends with this world. Think about it. Friends have things in common. Think about your friends. Think about your best friends. You obviously are friends because you have something in common, or else you would not be friends. Usually those things in common are the things that are held close to our hearts. You see, the Bible is clear that nothing or no one should sit upon the throne of our hearts but Jesus, the Anointed One. When we allow ourselves to be more influenced by this world than by the Word of God, then we are compromising our faith. That's just the reality. Remember, a little leaven, leaven, <laughs> you can't just have a little bit of sin and be like, oh, it's all good. No. It's like, Lord, eradicate all this within me. That's why King David said, create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. We just talked about the heart is deceitfully wicked. But David knew, man, Lord, you're the only one that can come in and scrub my heart clean and make my inner man white as snow. So please, create in me a clean heart. That's something you and I should be playing every day. We really should. Because we need clean hearts. This is why many people fall. Because they disregard the little things and then they eventually fall hard. They say, oh, that's not it. That's not it. I'm just, I'm just overeating a little bit over here. They're like, dude, you know hypertension runs in your family. <laughs> you know diabetes runs in your family. But you over here doing way too much. You should not be eating a tomahawk steak three days a week <laughs> thinking that, you know, you're going to be all good. But, I mean, again, we, we fall to the flesh many times. You see, when we are friends with the world, we commit the worst kind of adultery. It's adultery against the Lord God Almighty. It's a spiritual adultery. We're committing it against Him. And that's a horrible thing. You see, build your house upon the rock of Jesus Christ and not the sand of this world. Amen? Alright, the third main point is this. I like to go deep on these main points because if we don't go deep in the main points, you're really not going to understand the text when I go over it after. So, if you ever ask, man, dude, why is this thing like you do with teaching so? First of all, all I have to preach is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Second of all, you can never exhaust the Word of God, so hopefully that's enough to satisfy. Alright, third main point is this. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Again, we heard all the bad, but now comes the good. There's always good at the end. So hold on to the good. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 says, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. How many people want favor today? The Lord's favor. 
all hands to be raised. I want, I want all the favor I can get. Well, there you go. God opposes the crowd. You see, our refusal to trust God to provide what we need and what He wants for us and insisting on getting our own way is us acting out of pride. We are basically attempting to be our own gods when we live like that. Because we're saying, no, God, you can't provide for me. I'm going to go out and do it myself. It's that will again, but it's the will used in the wrong way. You see, there's nothing wrong with the strong will, but our strong will needs to be bent in a biblical way towards Christ and not our flesh and not trying to do our own thing. You should have a will to want to do what God would have you to do. Amen? You see, God will lovingly and jealously oppose us when we do this. But we have to also understand that he won't reject us in Christ. He'll correct us, but he won't reject us. Instead, he calls us to humble ourselves. Strong motor, uh, motorcycle. <laughs> Instead, he calls us to humble ourselves to receive more grace from him. That's what he wants for you and me. He calls us to repent of the sin of self-reliance and instead yield to him. The Bible says that he is the vine and we are the branches. He who stays and abides in him will bear much fruit. You'll bear much spiritual fruit in your life if you abide in Christ because he's going to do all the work through you. Again, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies have already been imparted into you supernaturally. So he'll do all kinds of things through your life. But if you start, start getting away from him, you're going to be a withered branch on the ground that's cut off. And you can't do nothing apart from him. If you want to know why there's no spiritual food in your life, you probably cut yourself off from Christ. Stay connected to the vine. Stay connected. He's your life source, church. He's my life source. I cannot do anything apart from Christ. I can't love my wife. I can't love my kids. I can't be a good worker. I can't tell the truth. I can't stay free from all the things I used to be addicted to if I'm disconnected from the vine. And when you're connected, you just grow and grow and grow. And he prunes and he prunes. And it'll hurt, but it's only you, him, him making you more like Christ. You're being refined. That's sanctification 101. This is what we have to come to understand and be accustomed to in the Christian life. So many times we're like, why am I going through this? You have a situation stuck from a worldly perspective, but it's a spiritual application that the Lord is trying to apply to your life. And He's trying to get you to bear more fruit. I know, I know everybody's going through something here. I know because I talked to you guys. The things you're going through, you're being pruned so you can bear more fruit. We weren't called to have nice lives and a bed of roses in this life. Christianity is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. But it's through much tribulation that you will enter into the gates of heaven. But I guarantee you this. If you sell out to Jesus Christ, when you see him, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, come enter into my rest. He's not going to say, depart from me, I never need you. There's going to be millions of people that thought they were good with Christ. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Because it's not about religion. It's about relationship. And when you come into a real relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't keep your mouth shut. 
And you can't stay just with the world. You're, you're going to gravitate to other believers. He's going to force, in a way, believers to come into your life because we're supposed to be together. We're supposed to. You're not supposed to be isolated as a Christian. You may be saved, but you're a malnourished, not mature Christian if you're always by yourself. I'm just putting it out there. I'm keeping it real because I love you too much, because the Lord's love is flowing through me, and I'm telling you, you cannot isolate and be a Christian. Because what's going to happen when it goes down? You're not going to have no one to turn to. You're going to need believers in Christ to come alongside and support you. Look at the look at the church in Acts. Look at when all the persecution hit. We think we're exempt because we live in America. When that day comes, we need to be ready, church. And it's not a physical battle. I'm talking about in the spirit. Being ready, being prepared, being like those virgins with their lamps and they had the oil and they were ready <laughs> to go feast. Man, I'm about to be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm not about to be with that door closed. That's a horrible thing. I would not wish that on anyone. But this is the time, church, to prepare. Because he wants to come back with his bride spotless, without wrinkles. All right, let's get into the verses. One, two, three. <laughs> Sometimes I'll excuse that. All right, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are warring within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do, and, and you ask and do not have because you ask wrongly, just spend it on your passion. So we see this first statement. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? It's just interesting to me because it's like, man, this is talking to the church. He's talking to the church. And, and we have to understand they were coming out of severe idolatry. I mean, they were worshiping, you know, Diana, Artemis, all these, 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 these false gods. These, these, these things that they would do in the temples, they're just horrible. They're despicable. They were lovers of self. And he's saying, what is causing these quarrels among you? He accurately describes strife amongst Christians with the terms of war or quarrels and fights. Some of your translations may, might say wars and they may not say quarrels. It's all basically the same thing. You see, often the battle happens amongst Christians because someone is bitter. And that bitterness becomes severe. Just think about it. Unless it's some kind of besetting sin. Or if someone literally moves to a different city or a different state or a different country, what, what? Unless the Holy Spirit is causing them to do it, why would someone leave a congregation? Why? Why would someone leave a congregation? I've asked myself this question all the time, and like I said, if it's the Holy Spirit moving someone out, I get it. If it's somebody leaving a different location, I get it. If it's not a salvational issue but rather a personal preference, an altercation can arise because of it, and that's not right. We shouldn't be church hopping just for the sake of, I'm, I'm trying to find that, that one church. You're never going to find it. We're not perfect here. <laughs> there's things that we do good, there's things we don't do good. <laughs> there's no perfect church. 
This is a spiritual hospital, man. We're all broken and messed up. We're taking our cues from Jesus. And nobody has it all together. You see, what you bring the people in with, you got to keep the people with. That's why we don't got ponies. That's why we don't got balloons. That's why we don't got fancy coffee. That's why we don't got all these things. I don't got tattoo artists up in here. I don't got rappers up in here. Because you, I'm not, man, I'm not having a taco truck here every Sunday to keep people coming to this building to meet. This is all the Lord. Because I didn't never even want to be in this position. You guys know how all this happened. This is all the Lord. And the Lord will keep the doors open. I don't ask anybody to give anything. That's between you and the Lord. You want to give, give. You don't want to give, don't give. That's between you and Christ. We don't talk about those things here because I know it's important, an offering and a tithe, but that's a personal thing. And I don't want these doors to be open because I'm coercing people to do it, because I'm guilting people to do it. You do what the Lord leads you to do. But I'm telling you, church, if we're not leaving for the right reasons, it should not be done. It should not be done. We should not be leaving congregations for the sake of just leaving. It should be the Holy Spirit putting it upon your heart to do so. And that's only something that you can honestly understand and assess through the discernment of the Holy Spirit. It goes on to say, they do not come from, do they not, talking about the quarrels and the wars and the fighting, do they not come from the desires and for the pleasure that war within you? You see, the source of wars and fights amongst Christians is always the same. When you trace it back to the root, you find carnality. The carnality within the Christian. Yes, it's real. This is something we have to fight. You don't want to be a carnal Christian, but I guarantee you you're going to fight against carnality your entire Christian existence. Because it is. It's an internal war within you believing uh, in, in regards to the lust of the flesh. The application is simply this. No two believers who are both walking in the Spirit of God towards each other can live in constant war and fight amongst themselves. If you, if, look, that's why I can't get nothing over on you, right? You guys are born-again believers, amen? So then you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So you know if I'm a dive turkey up here or if I'm telling you the truth. Because you're going to discern it. You're going to see the clown. What are you talking about? But if I'm telling you the truth, our spirits are both going to witness to the Holy Spirit speaking and you're going to be like, Amen, that is the truth. That is what it is. I get it. Will believers disagree? Of course. We disagree sometimes up in here. It's not a big deal. We should never major on the minor. If it's not a salvational issue, then we need not be so critical of each other. You know, like I said, there's no perfect pastor. There may be times where you're like, dude, I'm tired of this cat. He's gone way too long. I get it. Some people like a shorter message. It is what it is. You know, but is it something to, are we going to split hairs about it? Or, dude, uh, they baked instead of bringing donuts this week. Oh, my gosh, are you I can't stand this bread. Well, by, the, by the way, the bread was delicious. I'm not saying that. I'm just putting it out. I'm just, I'm just hypothetically speaking, right? But it's like, is that a salvational issue? But you see, sometimes within the church, we, we war over the dumbest stuff, man. And you know, the worst thing, and I just got to say this. It's not my ministry. And it's not your ministry. It's 
the Holy Spirit ministry of Jesus Christ. I can't, it, it, maybe it might just be the ignorance of some people, but I can't stand when people say, my ministry, my ministry, we're doing this, we're blowing up, da 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 Bruh, it's not your ministry, man. You've been brought into the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Just like it's not my church. I don't even care, I don't even care about the name of the life. You know, I mean, it is what it is. I, I guess it's tax purposes, you know, we got to be identified as something, but if we follow Christ, man, that's it. We are followers of Jesus Christ. All that other stuff, it convolutes. I don't even want to get off into the whole denomination thing. Well, I'll talk a little about it, you know. I believe you agree. Big man, you can say something if you want. But that, that's a statement. That, there's no need for all of this. That's fraction. Fractioning off for what reason? When you get to heaven, do you think you're just going to be with one little group of people? Man, I'm about to be with Chinese dude over here, dudes that's mixed with black, white, and, 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 and Filipino, and whatever else, man. People from all over, all nations, all tribes, all languages. That's what's going to pop off in heaven. So why are we over here in the church talking about, I'm going to an all-Chinese church? You better mix it up and get some other skin tones up in there. Because that's kind of, that's not really biblical. But I mean, I digress. Uh, maybe it's a lost point. <sighs> Almost all who have such a critical and contentious attitude claim that they are prompted and supported by the Spirit of God. If you have a critical spirit, you're not being led by God. <laughs> you're deceived into believing the Holy Spirit is leading you, but I believe it's probably more of your flesh and your own personal you know, things that you like. And we shouldn't allow that to happen because we know the Spirit of God is gentle and meek and loving and kind and thinks of others better than itself. So when we think of others better than ourselves and we, we, we come to a, a lowly position to serve people, then we know we're being led by the Holy Spirit. James makes it clear that this contentious manner comes from our desire. If we desire it, because the Spirit of God does not create desires which have issues of envying. He says, you, you, your desires for pleasure war within your members. Covetousness leads to conflict. We are commanded not to covet. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21 tells us, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house. How many people, I want that house on the hill. I get it, you could say it in passing, but some people are like, oh, I want that house. Or I want that wife flipping. Some it says his, don't covet his field or his male servant or his female servant. Don't don't covet his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You see, anger and animosity lead to hatred and conflict. These are all things that they they, they, they will become they will uh, they will reveal themselves over time when our hearts aren't right. Again, James looks back to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus also used murder to express more than actual sin. We talked about that earlier. But it's an inward condition, and it's shown by an outward anger. You see, because the fruit of unrighteousness will show itself too, just like the fruit of righteousness will show itself too. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22 says, You have heard that it was said, 
to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hellfire. I have to watch myself in that all that, that word keeps trying to just trickle out of my mouth, and I got to go, don't say that. I shouldn't be calling anybody that. The application is simply this. The word kill or murder, it, it, it's startling, but it's meant to startle. James wants to force us as his readers to realize the depth of evil in the bitter hatred that some have towards others. And remember, this is within the church. What in the world? Man, I'm telling you right now, I don't care what happens between you and me. I don't ever want to get to a place where I say I hate you. That's horrible. That is horrible. I don't hate anybody. When, when all kind of crazy stuff goes down, I, I, don't, I don't hate people. You know, I believe the Lord shows me that could have been you. <laughs> First of all, so humble yourself. That's what the Lord shows me. Then it's like, okay, what do we do now? How do we how do we make the situation right? How do we rectify the situation? You know, and, and, and that's how we should approach things. Not not allow things to get to the point where we're just at each other's throat. Especially the church. That is never to be okay. Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon I thought was pretty cool. The whole history of mankind shows the failure of evil, lusting to obtain their objects. Basically, he's saying, like, man, the world does all it can, all it can to obtain the things that they want. But it all ends in ruin. The application is this. The life lived after worldly and fleshly desires never reaches its goal it was set out for. We think these things are going to satisfy, but they never do. You see, don't be deceived by the folly of living after the rest of the world. Don't allow your appetite for things of this world, don't allow it to deceive you into thinking that it will satisfy you. We're all tempted, but don't allow that temptation to lull you to sleep. He goes on to say, you do not have because you do not ask. The reason these destructive desires exist among Christians is because they do not seek God for their needs. They just try to do it themselves. But we should seek God for everything we need. James reminds us here of the great power of prayer and why one may live unnecessarily in a spiritual broken place simply because they do not pray or they don't ask when they pray. Think of this as a vital spiritual law because this is how I've been, how it's been revealed to me. God doesn't give unless we ask, right? If we ask... <laughs> He may give if we ask correctly, which we'll get into in a second. But the thing is this. If you're in a place right now where you possess little of God's kingdom, it's almost certain that you're asking little. What do we do throughout the day? Who do we turn to throughout the day? If the answer is not Jesus Christ, then there lies in the problem. If we want to look to our own understanding, to our own intellect, to other people, to the world, instead of the Lord God Almighty, then that's why we lack what we truly need. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. The application is this. 
If we could have everything by asking and nothing without asking, do we see the vitalness of prayer? How healthy is your prayer life this morning? We are called to pray without ceasing. So that means throughout the day, we should be talking and praying from God. From God. And I know you can't always be on your knees. It's not about that. It's a spiritual posture. Is your is your is your heart bent towards God? That's what it's about. You see, we should have our spiritual antenna so aware of the presence of God and how He's speaking that we're able to pick up on what He's showing us throughout the day. And then He goes on to say, when you do ask, you ask a this, and so you just want to spend it on your own pleasure. And this is a sad thing. But after dealing with the problem of no prayer, now he's talking about selfish prayer. We, we, we don't go to God to try to persuade him <laughs> to do something. He's not a genie in the bottle. The purpose of prayer is to align our will with his will. That's why Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not, not, not what I want, Lord. No, let me be an open canvas for you to, to, to do what you would like to do. Sadly, this is not what you hear in many Christian services. Instead, what you hear of petitions for things of this world to be given. If at the forefront and core of your prayers, is not for your inner person to be conformed to be more like Jesus Christ than you're asking of this. Remember, does, does not your father already know what you need? Does he not need? Does he not know you need food? Does he not know you need clothing? Does he know not know you need shelter? Does he not know you need employment? Does he not know you need a clean bill of health? Does he not know you need all these things? But what is at the core of your prayer, church? Do you want to be more like Christ, or do you just want your needs met? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 tells us, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I'll tell you right now, I'm not lacking anything. And I'm totally content in a three-bedroom apartment living in Sunday. I don't own a house. I don't need to own a house. I'm okay. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with owning a house. What I'm telling you is, I am content. I have everything I need in Jesus. I have everything I need in Christ. And I have things that, you know, it's whatever, man. I got some Jordan shoes, whatever it is, what it is. But I'm content in Him. He provides everything I need and my family needs because we're seeking Him. I want to be like Him. This is not my home. My home is in heaven, and I, one day I'll be there. But until then, I have a mission that he's called me to live out. And you have a mission that he's called you to live out. Don't ask a miss, church. Know what you're asking for. Know who you want to be conformed to be. It should be him, amen? Luke chapter 15, verse 14 tells us, And when he had spent everything, he's speaking of the, uh, the prodigal son, a famine arose in that country and he, and he began to be in need. You see, destructive desires persist even if we pray because our prayers may be self-centered and self-indulgent. So ask yourself, why are these prayers not being answered? It may be you're asking a this. You're asking for the wrong thing. It has to start with Christ. And if it starts with Christ, 
the rest will be in alignment. But when we start and we're talking about, oh, can you, I need traveling mercy for this and that, and, you know, come on now. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. Do you not think he's going to keep you safe on the road? But what about what moves him? What moves him is, I need to be more like Jesus. I need to be more like your son. I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. You continue to watch over me. You continue to do these things. That's what moves God's heart. That's what stirs him up. And then he wants to shower down all that stuff that he already knows you need. And the floodgates of heaven open up. Because you ask rightly. Two more verses. I promise. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that has that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, this is Old Testament vocabulary, talking about adulterers and adulteresses. God spoke this way in the Old Testament when his people, the Israelites, were attracted to some kind of form of idolatry. Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 9 tells us, Then those of you who escape will remember me among the nations when they were carried captive, how I have been broken, this is God speaking, he's saying his heart has been broken over their whoring heart that has departed from me and over their eyes that go whoring after their idols and they will be loathsome in their own sight for the evils that they have committed for all their abominations as James thought here their covetousness was idolatry and friendship with the world Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 tells us, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. But James, he uses the phrase adulteresses to give a specific spiritual picture. It's like God is the husband and we are his wife. The church is his wife. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5 tells us, for your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, the God of the whole earth he is called. The application is simply this. The Jews, because of their covenant with God, are represented as being espoused to him. And so their idolatry and their iniquity in general are represented under the notion of idolatry. The same goes for us as Gentiles. Because when Jesus Christ fulfilled the new covenant, we are now the church and we are his bride. Amen? Just look at King David. When he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he said that he committed adultery against the Lord God Almighty. I'm not saying he wasn't tripping off her, but she was secondary. He committed it against the Lord first. And he goes on to say, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? James recognizes that we cannot both be friends of this world system in rebellion against God and be friends with God at the same time. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 tells us, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Nothing wrong with money. We all know it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Nothing wrong with money. Be wealthy. But don't be in love with it to where you make it with God. You see, you can't drink from the cup of God and the cup of demons. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21 tells us, 
You cannot drink from the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. This is why we have to be aware, church. The application is this. Even the desire to be a friend of the world makes one an enemy of God. Such friendship with the world means that one is hostile towards God. Now, do we isolate and be in a Christian circle and huddle all by ourselves? Absolutely not. We, we engage with the world. We engage with, with, with lost people. But we don't, like, I'm not going to go to the strip club with somebody and witness. That's just dumb. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to go... I mean, I'm just saying, if you know your vices, if you're an alcohol, if you just beat alcohol, and you're like, I'm about to go up in every bar and I'm about to witness all these people. I mean, if the Lord leads you, I guess do it. But what I'm saying is, you know, you don't want to end up being influenced by the world. So you don't have to be friends with the world. But you can still share the love of Christ with people in your sphere of influence without engaging in their lifestyle. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go play you know, a, a game of cards with these dudes, knowing that they're gambling, knowing that you just got over a gambling addiction. That's not the wisest thing to do. That's what he's saying here. Because they have plenty of carnality and worldliness to deal with. And we see that he says that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit has a jealous yearning for us to be friends with God and God alone. The Spirit will convict the Christian who lives in compromise. Basically, if you and I are truly born-again believers in Christ, you won't be able to enjoy your sin. You won't. You won't. If you sin, you're going to grieve. And, and, and you're going to, not only you are going to grieve, but the Holy Spirit within you is going to grieve. Because you're going to be uncomfortable, because you're going to be like, this is not right. I don't, I don't feel right. This is nasty. This is gross. God cleanse me. Make me right again. Many passages in the Old Testament tell us that God is a jealous God. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 16 tell us, they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, little g, with abominations they provoked him to anger. Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 tells us, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting, listen to this, this is crazy, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate you. Generational curses? Totally real. Break the generational curses in your family with you. Do not let them go to the next generation. Amen? I'll end with this last verse. Zechariah chapter 8 verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy. I am jealous for her with great wrath. See, see, church, the Lord is jealous of sharing you with the world. He's created you and I in His own image because He wants to impart to us the Holy Spirit. Why? Because He wants to have unhindered fellowship with us. That's the only way you and I will ever truly be satisfied. But in order for that to happen, He has to separate us from the world, which makes us holy. That's what the word holy means. Separated unique, different, and then in that way, now he can share himself with you and I. May that be the desire of our hearts to, to be in one, in one according to him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just 
come before you again, and we thank you for your word. It's always on time. It's always true. It always reveals everything that we need. So now as your word is gone for us, Father, I pray that you would do the mighty work that only you can do. May your supernatural hand be upon your people, and may you cause them to know your ways, may you cause them to fall in love with you in a deeper way. It doesn't matter what their circumstances are. You can rise them above their circumstances, and they can be filled with your peace and your joy and your love no matter what they're facing. So, Father, we thank you, and we love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.